boxing. How, okay. how do we? So hi, I'm Maxim. <laughs> I'm Ukrainian. Uh, so now I'm doing my PhD in uh, England at Surrey University. So I finished my bachelor and masters in Czech Republic at Czech Technical University in Prague. So uh, I'm 23. And I don't know what to answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, mate. And uh, do you want to ex- explain how we know each other? Yes, yes. So we basically met on a plane, on a plane from London mm-hmm. Stansted to Prague. You, you have a uh, seat next to me in the plane. Yeah, I still remember. Yes, it. yes. That's summertime. And uh, yes, yeah, so it was last summer, and I was uh, asking you many questions, and you're probably thinking, <laughs> "Just leave me alone." No, no, no. <laughs> it was very interesting to talk with you. Yes. Well, I remember we were talking about. Uh, Ukraine a lot, even when yes. the first time I met you, because I went two and a half years ago, and I was only there for a short period of time, and I, I absolutely loved it. So, obviously, with everything that's been going on at the moment, it's just yeah, no one, mind blowing. No one knew about this. Yeah. Mm. However, and already, already Putin was preparing some army forces on the border of Ukraine in April last year, but then they had mm-hmm. a summit with Biden, and somehow everything has resolved. So maybe. He had already some plans at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember it's uh, last year. There was a lot on the news where he was building. Yeah, it's somewhere on a- in April, I think. So, do you do you think he would have? He was potentially planning then, maybe. Maybe I think yeah, I, th- I think he went crazy already a long time ago when he first invaded uh, an ex Crimea and attack mm-hmm. on Donbass. So. Yeah, because you could say that's initially when when it started, wasn't it? When they took Crimea in two thousand and fourteen. Yes. Um, but there's there's a good. Did I tell you about the Netflix documentary, the Winter on Fire? No, no, no. I think it no. Didn't. So what it is so about? Uh, so there's a documentary that follows the uh, Maidan protests, and it shows how it. The government U-turned on the vote for the EU, and then it just documented how them protests escalated into a revolution. Um, it's quite it's, it's quite graphic footage of what they're showing the towards the end, and the police are shooting these innocent protesters. But I, I only watched that a few weeks ago, and it was a reminder of like, oh wow, like that's what they had to do in two thousand thirteen, fourteen, and then now. I hope that that will be the end of it, whereas now it's just like a full-scale invasion from a, a neighbour. And were you in Kiev at the time of the protest? Yes, I've been in Kiev in 2000, basically until 2016 I was in Kiev. So mm-hmm. I've seen all these protests uh, on Maidan, like uh, Independent Square of Ukraine. And uh, obviously there w- was no Nazi, like uh, Russian propaganda media was saying, so it was, I mean, it wasn't calm, but it was like a, a real, like a real protest of the people. So there was like no Nazi at all. Yeah, definitely. Even if you just look at the, the footage or even, even if you just said the president now in uh, Ukraine, he's a Jewish person himself. 
he's just gone in uh, for an invasion with no evidence whatsoever to back yes. up what he's saying. Yeah, just Putin basically afraid that the same will happen in Russia, that people will start to protest and they threw him out of his throne. <laughs> yeah, I hope that happens. I, yeah, I think yeah. there'll be a, I think there'll be a, a public backlash based on what's been happening over the past few weeks. Um, yeah. It's good to see that soldiers have come in from Russia and then they've ended up surrendering voluntarily to the Ukrainians because yes. they're surprised <laughs> yeah. at their the, the actual behaviour. Um, so what was it like in Kiev in 2013 and 14? So it was a lot of like uh, big protests in uh, on the Maidan Nesolation Square. So people were j just basically against the government, the pro-Russian government that was at the time in Ukraine. The government refused to sign a, a deal with European Union about association with European Union. Just basically it's a trading agreement between Ukraine and the EU. So people started to protest against it. And basically as a pro-Russian uh, president, uh, his, his name is Viktor Yanukovych. He, he went to Russia, he discussed some uh, things with Putin and basically Putin pressured uh, pressure on our president at, at that time. So he tried to, uh, to basically, uh, I don't know how to say, like uh, to, to go, <laughs> I mean, sorry. Uh, it's okay. So. Yeah, uh, so, so the thing is that yeah, people were basically uh, against this Russian president, and that's why they were fighting against him. And uh, it was like lasted, I think, for two or three months uh, since the start of November, and it ended up in February by by the thing that uh, that Ukrainian Russian government killed basically one hundred uh, people of protesters on a uh, square so people couldn't forget it and uh, they started like to force the government buildings and eventually all this uh, Ukrainian government they they just run away run away to Russia and mm -hmm. basically uh, the former Ukrainian president flee to like Rostov or there is a city in in Russia isn't i seen something the other day where Russia actually wanted to get yes yes so yeah this is, uh, yeah yeah so basically this uh, Viktor Yanukovych he was uh, he was seen back in Minsk uh, I think a few days ago and now like uh, our intelligence uh, said that Putin plans to basically uh, put Yanukovych back in power in Ukraine as he legitimate <laughs> president so <laughs> yeah I mean it's, it's just it's just super funny I don't know how how he, how he, how Putin imagined this to happen because no one, basically, no one at all in Ukraine, like uh, really support uh, our for former president. It's just impossible. Yes, I can't imagine that his, if his plan works and he takes over Ukraine, I don't imagine there being a great, uh, great amount of joy regarding the decision of putting uh, this president back in. Because I think I actually spoke to you about this last time. Uh, or when we've met before, is the corruption museum that his palace was turned yes, into. Yes, yeah, yeah. So th there is uh, basically a Ukrainian president live, lives in uh, some kind of uh, like 
building uh, this building is given like to it's it's like a white house imagine for us so this building is called Mejihiria in ukraine and uh, uh, basically every president before lived in this so when uh, when uh, Viktor Yanukovych left our country so people basically came to this building and saw a lot of like uh, very expensive very like fancy stuff so and they basically said that this now will be uh, the museum of corruption of our corruption president <laughs> and it remains so to this day my 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 family my parents have been to this place i, I haven't actually but and they said that there are really like a lot of like fancy stuff like really really rich so what was it like being in kiev at that time in uh, where the you know the president fled uh, to russia and you basically the protesters got what they wanted was it quite chaotic for a while? No, it was only yes. maybe a few months after. Yeah, unfortunately, but... it was like super chaotic. Like after the president left the country, so basically Russia, what they did, they annexed Crimea and they started the war on Donbass. So there was like separatists, uh, there were first separatists on this Donbass and Lugansk territories. They started, they declared independence from Ukraine. Obviously, we didn't recognize this independence and our army forces started like to deoccupy these terrorists and basically Putin uh, sent Russian forces to protect these separatists and so basically the war that lasted that started like eight years ago just happened there and mm -hmm. so I remember at, the, at that time I was like a student in school it was like a, my 10th grade so it was like last and pre before last year at school and I was like all reading this news about our our army and there was huge economical crisis so the inflation was 200 percent in ukraine so you can imagine like one dollar was like around eight rivnas and after a few months after revolution one dollar was around 24 rivnas so it was mm. like three times degrees yeah it was very chaotic but i mean I mean, maybe, I don't know, it's like, uh, uh, of course, I support the West, uh, everyone in Ukraine, I think, support uh, the Western part of Ukraine. And now we know for sure that it was a right decision to make. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> I think that there's there's no going back now for uh, yes. that. that It seems so clear to most people in Ukraine, just from a, an outside perspective that you know it's not like you've had nato bombing ukraine or these western powers yeah. <laughs> attacking ukraine it's the aggression has come from russia yes exactly and so yeah a lot of people so, were complaining about this economical crisis that happened in ukraine but now if you consider all of this at this current time frame you see that it was right it, has there been any economic crisis like happening because of what's uh happened with russia invading so for example yeah so the, econo the... the why economic crisis has happened is that those donbass regions there were like the second most prosperous uh, regions in ukraine so there was a lot of goals there was like a lot of like uh, this where highly density 
populated areas, uh, millions of people were living, there's are taxpayers, and then of course those uh, territories separated. Uh, Ukraine lost a lot of like financial uh, contribution from their from that region, and of, of course Ukraine started to build up their army from scratch, completely from scratch, and this is why this uh, the key factors why a crisis happened. Okay, and because you, you've obviously sadly en entered the war now without wanting to, obviously it's been uh, unexpected. Has there been any instant economic uh, crisis happening? So, for example, is there inflation within Ukrainian money now? Uh, so, no, actually, U Ukraine surprisingly is being a bit stable mm -hmm. for, for now. I think uh, the Ukrainian uh, rate to dollar was like maybe dropped by a few units. It was like maybe 20, 28, 27, like uh, weeks ago. Now it's maybe around 30. So it like mm -hmm. doesn't like significantly dropped now. And but and a lot of a lot of countries uh, now are giving some uh, financial aid to Ukraine. And even uh, the mm -hmm. World Bank is giving some uh, loans to Ukraine. So uh, I hope that the situation in, for now at least will be stabilized. But of course, someone would need to repay everything. So uh, the European Union, I think, already agreed on giving uh, financial aid to Ukraine around 10 billions of euros. So, mm -hmm. so now, now maybe it's stable, I think, for now at least. But of course, it's a huge damage, huge damage to mm -hmm. Ukraine. Yeah, well, we were texting over the past few days and we were talking about Kharkiv, just the photos that have mm -hmm. been coming out from there and the just destruction of buildings is just ridiculous. Infrastructure that's gonna take years to repair yes. to repair. It's it's not gonna be an easy force, which is why people want the, the war to end so quickly because it's just destruction. And it it seems to have calmed down over the past few days. I I'm not sure if there's been uh, that good of it so there's obviously been a very good ukrainian defense uh, that's happened and they then focused more on civilian yeah. buildings it looked like and i'm not sure if there's going to be a change in direction over the next couple of days because what what i've seen on the news it's not being as uh like this bomb's happening it, it seems to have calmed down a little bit um i'm not too sure though yeah, I think maybe maybe it's been a little bit of calm down, but uh, Russian forces are advancing now in the south of Ukraine. So they they've been taking now a very big city Kherson in the south mm -hmm. near Crimea, and they now advancing to uh, the uh, another big city Mykolaiv, which is next to Kherson. So this is like a very dangerous direction. On the northern side. Uh, uh, near Kiev and uh, Kharkiv, they still couldn't succeed of invading these cities. Ukrainian soldiers are still protecting, but I would say the situation is uh, really dangerous because now I read some military expert analytics is that uh, Russia is trying to split basically, basically Ukraine on two sides and basically encircle some of the cities. So they want to like encircle and just like to cut off Ukraine, Ukrainian cities from some backup from outside. And so and, and this somehow to uh, 
make a pressure on Ukrainian government to capitulate. So they, for instance, they want to do it with Kiev. So if they cut off and then circulate, it would be like very, very dangerous. So maybe this is like kind of there is strategic, strategic plan. So, so better right. Mm -hmm. So how's it been for you? And I, I know that you're in uh, the UK at the moment. You're studying, but what's it been like as a Ukrainian just to witness this happening? I know that you've always. Even for since 2014, you've technically always had war, but this is a huge yeah. uh, increase in aggression. So what, what's that been like to witness? So first, it's, of course, like a, a huge tragedy for me and for all Ukrainian people, what, what happened. It's really, really difficult to see all this news, all this bombarding of, uh, like, basically of innocent cities, innocent uh, people, and... Uh, uh, it's 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 very it's very like difficult mentally uh, seeing all of this. But second thing is I uh, feeling very proud about being Ukrainian right now more than ever because uh, Ukraine is now like stopping basically top second army or top third army in the world of Russian army, and we are not giving up on on this, and we show like a huge a huge resistance uh, that everyone is in the world. Has not expected it to. And it also feels like everybody in the world is on your side, <laughs> which yes, is uh, yes. which is great. I, I've been impressed by the amount of people who have volunteered. So I've seen numbers where it's approximately like 80,000 people from around the world have signed up to yeah. voluntarily go and fight. Now, I think looking at the approach that, that like the Western governments are doing, they're obviously not trying to directly get involved i think they're trying to solve it more democratically rather than completely destroying the whole world now i'm not sure if there should be for example a no-fly zone over ukraine and then that leads to maybe the uk shooting down russian jets i'm not sure what how far that will escalate it but at the same time it's like well the escalation's already technically started by Russia so I'm not I'm not really too sure what the the next steps are I, I don't know yeah. what, what your opinion is so now yeah it, it is uh, basically the hottest topic right now about North zone in Ukraine mm. so our basically everyone in Ukraine including me urges for this uh, North zone because it will save lots of people because all these bombardings basically happen either by artillery or mostly by uh, air attack so um, mm -hmm. This is very important to uh, to uh, put the no fans on. But on the other side, of course, I understand the concern of the uh, NATO that basically this would involve uh, all basically all NATO countries in this war. And uh, uh, what basically Putin said yesterday, I was uh, watching his. Uh, um, uh, about him talking about this no-fly zone in Ukraine, and he said that involving NATO would basically lead to nuclear war. So be, he basically threatened already that uh, mm -hmm. the the Russia might may use this uh, uh, the nuclear possibility, and so. But we don't have to forget that Ukraine was. Uh, uh, was giving up uh, their nuclear weapons a long time ago, and it was like a Budapest mm -hmm. memorandum that says that UK, US, Russia, and 
uh, some other countries uh, like uh, said that they will protect Ukraine, they protect Ukraine independence and uh, territorial like sovereignty. And uh, so, given this like uh, document, this memorandum, I think NATO would do need to do even more. Maybe not not a fire zone, mm -hmm. but at least to provide more weaponry, more like ammunition or more money support. And I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. It's been good to see the the public support behind it. Like when the the first missiles started hitting Kiev, I was in Latvia in Riga, and I was impressed to see how quickly people were out on the streets protesting around the world. Um, I think that has pushed, uh, you know, the, the yes. politicians to, to to do more. Like we've seen in in Prague, there's been eighty thousand people gathering because they know what it's like to have um, the, the to be invaded. People coming, yeah, and it, it's difficult for for I'd say America and uh, England and Great Britain to kind of understand that because. I guess they've never really, in the, in recent history, uh, been invaded to the scale as like let's say Eastern European countries have. And what's frustrating to see for Ukraine is it's like you had it was two thousand fourteen. It was like you're gonna get your freedom. It's it's like there you're fighting for it, and it's still, it's like he won't let go. Putin just won't let go of you, and it's just uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um, what do you think is gonna happen? In the future, how how hopeful are you for this conflict to end? Yeah, so so what I think will happen is that basically Putin will not stop. Uh, so why he cannot stop it first? Because if he stops, he will be showed a very weak to his like uh, to his elites, to his like people who surround him, to basically to Russian people. Everyone would consider Putin weak, and he will basically be being like uh, overthrown by uh, by someone in the in the government so i think putin will not stop unfortunately and he will do now like most of this uh, sanctions are enforced he has basically was nothing to lose anymore and now i'm afraid like he will go further in escalation he will go the main, main the main target of his is basically kiev and other cities i'm not sure about western ukraine but uh, i think he definitely wouldn't stop for now at least so but i really hope that in a few months or maybe in one month or maybe a few weeks uh, given that a lot of international companies are now like fled from russia they stopped their business there a lot of people would feel it on their skin so to say for instance ikea have have has already left Russia and people just uh, went to the shop buying all, all the stuff from IKEA in Russia. And uh, <laughs> once uh, Russian people realized that they are basically being under sanctions from all over the world, like in North Korea or Iran or some African <laughs> countries, they would start to protest even more. And it, of course, now, like uh, a lot of Russian people being imprisoned and uh, repressed by the government sent to prison, pay some fine for protesting. But if there would be several millions and there would be protests uh, within uh, like a police structure of Russia, then I, th I think that this can stop Putin from escalating the war and I don't know.
yeah, well, you could say that this type of uh, position that Russia has, so the jailing of um, in protesters, just just for holding up a sign, they're going to end yes. up in prison for it. You had that in Ukraine when you had your your revolution and people seeing the treatment, the brutality that the the police yes. were showing, and that's what driven the the uh, the revolution further. So it does give me hope to think that 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 could potentially happen, and I feel like it's um, it's probably overdue yeah. <laughs> in in Russia. But yeah, I'm just afraid that Russian people are not brave enough to really protest. If you see, like, Ukrainians been protesting not only in 2013, but also in 2004 before, and uh, you see that mentality of Ukrainian and Russian people are slightly different now. I mean, uh, Ukrainians are protesting. We had, like, six presidents over all, all independence of Ukraine, while Russia had only two. And uh, <laughs> and I mean, uh, really, like Russian people, they can't protest, like uh, can't protest, like uh, really, really, like to uh, change their, their government. So I'm I'm afraid that this protest would not lead to anything in Russia. So this is my uh, concern I have right now. So maybe, maybe what I really hope that elites, like some oligarchs in Russia, they they would understand that Putin is too expensive for them. To all this war is very expensive, and, and they will like uh, change someone. But I don't know how is this probable. We can we can hope. <laughs> we can hope yeah. for a miracle. Maybe yes. maybe he chokes on a on a tomato or something. That would yeah. be a good way for him to go. Because now Putin is more dangerous than Kim Jong Un. Can you imagine that? Even North Korea <laughs> now is not it's not threat anymore comparing to Russia. Did you see in the you were talking before about his press conference to give? Did you see when he was Yes, yes touching he, the mic? Putin like a yeah, microphone like <laughs> yeah basically Putin is he really went crazy. So Putin haven't seen a lot of people like in maybe in a years because of COVID. I, I think I'm pretty sure he was like sitting alone with, with nobody. He, even when Putin meets everyone, you, you can see there is like a huge distance on the table. So when he was talking like to the general, there was like distant, I don't know, 10 or 15 meters. When he was talking to Macron or Schultz, uh, there was distance on the, like maybe 20 meters. They were, were like sitting on the opposite <laughs> side of the tables. So Putin just cannot meet these people. He is constantly afraid that someone may like kill him. I don't know, or maybe he will get COVID from someone. So yeah, they, those basically all those people were just I don't know some kind of artificially added by Photoshop. I don't know. <laughs> yes, I. It was funny because you seen Zelensky a, a few hours later when he finished yes. his press conference. Yeah, he moved I, his I <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so. How is it now being so? You, you obviously you're in the UK at the moment, and you can't be in Kiev with uh, friends and family. Do Do you have any friends and family that are, let's say, uh, not more? I don't know how to say this. So I know that in Ukraine, it's people speak Ukrainian and Russian very, yes. very well. So. 
there's probably is other people in your family who I'd say you know do you have close relations with Russian people? No, no, I don't. I, I don't no. have any family members in Russia. Yeah, regarding is it com? Sorry, go on. Yeah, regarding actually Russian language. So actually, I started speaking. Uh, with my mom in Ukrainian after all this happened. So we decided like to slightly change our conversation from Russia to Ukrainian in order to not support like uh, the Russia. Yeah, because I remember when I went, I was single at the time when I went to uh, Kiev and uh, a lot of girls in the Instagram Sorry, in the Tinder bios would have like Ukrainian slash Russian, uh, Latin like yes. can speak both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's been really hard hitting, just to witness what's going on. I th- I think that I do hold, uh, personal emotion to it because, for example, I know yourself and I I liked being in Ukraine so much. I enjoyed the country, but just slowly seeing it take place over time. So, for example, the, the first of protests were happening. And then, for example, this morning when I was getting the bus from uh, Cherny Most yes, in Prague, yes, um, there was tons of Ukrainian refugees there. And it was really heartbreaking to see uh, just multiple people with bags and bags full of clothes. And they were just hanging around the, the bus station, whereas two or three weeks ago they had the not normality of the the day-to-day life did did you think that even though he had the troops on the border did you think that this was actually going to happen or did you kind of think oh this is he's just swinging his dick so to say yeah, I never actually expected this, but uh, once the war started, I realized that there will be like uh, hundreds thousand of refugees. And now I think United Nations says that there are already 1.5 million of Ukrainian refugees. It's really heartbreaking to see, of course. Uh, but I'm very glad that European countries now accepting those refugees. I know like that... Uh, Poland uh, or Czech Republic, they're very quite against uh, the refugees from Syria or like Middle East countries. Uh, I mean, like uh, it was, I think, a few years ago, but now they're accepting Ukrainian refugees. So it's, of course, very, I'm very glad to see this happen. Some people have used what's happening in Ukraine uh, to vocalize wars that have been happening in the Middle East over the years and I ended up having uh, uh, messaging this girl who I know from Saudi Arabia because she was just coming out with it was it was like right-wing rhetoric that you hear here in like I'd say Ukraine or even in England just every what every country's got and it was painting western media as saying that Oh, they they're only bothered about Ukrainians because they're all white people, and it was like no, no, they're no. Not. that is not this the is, case. This is definitely not true. I, I mean, uh, the, the the real reason is that Ukraine was always close to Poland, like mentally. We uh, there is a lot of actually Polish people or people with Polish, lots of Polish origins in uh, in Ukraine, in Western 
country, in western part of Ukraine as well. And uh, uh, we have like a similar language. It's all Soviet language, like from Czech language, Polish language, uh, very similar. Our uh, cultural uh, similarities are very big. We have this, this, the same religion, Christianity, and uh, uh, we have like very similar traditions like Easter, Christmas. So this is like uh, the, I mean, obviously there is no like racism, racism factor in, in this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like it's people just using what's happening to get the side of the message out there and it's it's a bad way to look at current affairs of what's happening rather than seeing uh, or having empathy with what's going on it's like oh i'm gonna use this to support my argument and it's it was disgusting so we had yeah. we had a little bit of a uh i won't say an argument i just kind of gave her a <laughs> big breakdown. I was like, no, this isn't the case. It's completely yes. different geopolitical situation. For example, the and, fact and now, that Ukraine used to be... Yes, and, and this this threat from Russia was like always worrying for Polish uh, people and from Czech Republic, as Czech Republic was invaded by Russians in 1968. So I think most of the countries are now understand that uh, if Russia basically go further, if they like if they invade Ukraine eventually, so Russia wouldn't uh, wouldn't stop. They would go like to maybe Moldova. They would go like to maybe Finland, who is now a member of NATO, and uh, who knows? Maybe they will go to Baltic countries because Baltic countries were uh, former Soviet republics. So, and uh, uh, I, I think given this point, maybe. Eastern Europe is now afraid of this scenario to happen, and they understand if they gonna help now Ukraine that uh, that maybe uh, it it will help to stop Russia, and some other countries will help them in, in this case. So. Yeah, I think his approach was to like maybe scare, obviously scare Ukraine and. Don't let them go to the West. They don't want to join Europe. You know, this is what Ukraine wants to do. This was Putin's idea. But it's actually had the reverse effect. Europe's become more united over the, the subject. Finland potentially wants to join NATO. Yeah. Uh, Zelensky's put in an application to join the EU. And I've seen that Georgia wants to join the EU as well. Yeah. It's just like, obviously, in hindsight, you think that's that's what's going to happen. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm really happy that, you know, Vladimir Putin's here bombing us all. I can't wait for him to give us, um, <laughs> give us our old prime minister back. It's just, it's, it's bizarre. I don't understand what his plan is at all because I imagine that multiple people who've left the country, millions of people yes. now who've left, are not going to simply go, oh, okay, the conflict's over. Uh, Putin has said our new president's good, the one that we had previously. I believe him. You know, he, he said that he wasn't going to invade us, but he ended up doing. But let's yes. forget about that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, Russian government like was lying for a few months that they wouldn't attack. I remember I was like uh, watching some videos before, basically a war, like two days before, and there was like all top Russian officials were saying that. We know we have no plans of invading Ukraine. No, no, we are Russia is a peaceful country. We never invade anybody. And I mean, 
no one, no one can believe now Russia anymore. Like they, Putin was lying about annexing Crimea back in two thousand fourteen. He was saying, no, no, we don't annex Crimea. It's some like it's some kind of uh, green people that uh, green forces that basically uh, forces of Crimea Peninsula. They they are protecting themselves, but. After Putin, after some months, Putin said that yes, of course there were some Russian army. We, I, I myself, I operate this. Uh, I had this military operation of uh, saving Crimea. So, no, no. I mean, the Western leaders must understand that they couldn't believe uh, Russia. So even Macron now is calling Putin maybe every almost every day about asking him. But still, how how can you trust Putin? How can you? I don't know. Yeah, because what's going to happen? Even if, okay, even if he goes right, I I doubt that I doubt that Putin would do this. But even if he took the defeat and said, okay, we fucked up. This obviously it's a big fuck up. Like it's it's more than fucking up to be honest. It's yeah. it's almost a genocide against the Ukrainian people, and removes his troops, gives back Crimea, gives back Donetsk and Luhansk. It's like. What's going to happen, realistically? It's not like everyone's going to magically start trusting Putin. I, I feel like if you look at history in the way of, let's say, Nazi Germany, if Adolf Hitler was still in charge after World War Two, it well, we, you know, that's a big if. You, you can't say that people would have been happy that yeah. that was the case. So it's going to have to be... A, either jail cell or, or death <laughs> for Putin. Um, yeah, so other than that, other than the Ukrainian conflict, it's obviously been the main probably thing you've been thinking about for the past two weeks while it's been happening. Uh, how's everything else? <laughs> how's, uh, how's the uh, degree? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was very difficult to concentrate on my education for the last like 10 i think it's already been 11 days but yeah i'm focusing i'm trying to focus on my work but all this news i've been quite distracted from them uh, so i can tell about something about my work it's basically uh, so then my whole abstract topic is uh, sign language recognition but now i'm doing like kind of body tracking so you see you can have uh, one let's say video video of a man like talking sign language like moving his hands like and uh, basically what what i need to do is uh, kind of given a single video uh, to to make some kind of 3d reconstruction obtain some kind of skeleton of this human that uh, basically is moving his hands and uh, eventually what what i will receive is kind of a set of 3d points points of my of the hand of the arms of the face and eventually given all these 3d points i need to somehow enforce them to be a valid and to be a valid constraint because uh, all these kind of points could be uh, being like completely random in 3d space but i need to like kind of enforce uh, the constraints on the bones so let's say you have to imagine my arms is like a set of points the points correspond to this 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 and uh, I need to enforce a constraint so the size of this bone would be the same on, on the, my left hand uh, arm would be the same as on my uh, right arm. So this kind of uh, 
I need to enforce this constraint. And after, uh, I kind of like ultimate goal is uh, given this kind of 3D pose, 3D pose, like given this uh, kind of rotations of the hand, I need to recognize basically what uh, what person is was trying to 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 tell. Oh wow! Okay, so what, does that just come up as like uh, subtitles? Of what the person yeah, saying. Yeah, maybe it? ideally, yes. Yeah. So now, now in my group, uh, there is 15 people that are doing like basically a PhD with me in my department, and maybe half of them are also working on sign language. So it's not like uh, it is a, is a thing. So it's like a, a whole group is working on this. Okay. Okay. And how many people? 16, did you say? Yeah, 15 around. And maybe half 15. are working on sign language, maybe other half is doing something difficult like it different like autonomous driving for instance so how do you okay how do you <laughs> how do you even do that where do you start like where did it where okay did it so happen? yeah okay so the first thing to start is there are basically already some uh, neural networks that, that can predict somehow uh from so you to this neural network you give some kind of image image of a person for instance and it already given some data. So, so this neural network was trained on the like millions of images, millions of images of uh, human, and those images were annotated. Annotated, I mean, there have been already some. Um, so imagine like you have image and you give the position of a human on this. Like you, you, I mean, you have like draw like contours of, of a human. And basically on this annotated information, neural network can basically teach itself to understand where is human on image. And given like millions of data, you can train your neural, neural networks for maybe like weeks or months. So eventually this neural network would uh, understand where is a human on the, on the image. So after this, you can give any image and uh, any image of a human like not from your training set, not on the set that you've been training your network, and the neural network would give you some kind of prediction. So this prediction is basically given a single image, it predicts 3D points, 3D points of a human. It predicts like a, a point of a nose, for instance, a point of a, a wrist, of arm, and, and, and so on. So this is, was, uh, I was using some already pre-trained networks that would give me some kind of 3D point set of an uh, of image. So what, what I did, uh, so I, I used them already. There is like a, a, a big network called the MediaPipe. It's been, uh, it, it's a framework of Google. So they, they already have this kind of network that uh, predicts me as 3D points. Now what I was like working for the last maybe weeks of my PhD is basically given this kind of 3D points, those problem of those 3D points is that they are not accurate enough. So network gives me some kind of uh, points set, but I need to verify them. I need to like uh, enforce this kind of human constraint, uh, constraint that some kind of like your arm couldn't be more than 90 degrees from this point of view. So it couldn't be like something impossible. So I need to enforce this constraint. I need to somehow like make optimization problem that uh, uh, kind of uh, shift incorrect in uh, points, 3D points, uh, to correct position, to enforce like a normal angles of a human, to enforce uh, the uh, 
constraint on the length of the bones of the human, so it would look normal, how basically a normal per person uh, like exists. Uh, so, and uh, after after this goal, I would have to kind of again create my own network that basically uh, would give that would be given like a video sequence and would output not only 3D points but uh, 3D points with valid constraint. So this is kind of like goal my my short term goal for this. Okay, so how long have you got? to work on this project for so it it depends so basically what uh, uh, I, I cannot like tell because uh, it's uh, very very difficult to like really understand my uh, time frame because you, you can be easily stuck on one thing because now i've been for maybe last week i've been working on the calibration so you see that you can also have like different cameras different cameras of capturing the same thing uh, the same like, uh, so uh, basically how these videos of a human were taken. So there is like one camera, there is a second camera, there are multiple cameras of sh filming only one, one person. And uh, what I was trying to know is the extrinsic and intrinsic of this camera. Intrinsic is uh, basically a kind of camera matrix of the camera and distortion coefficients. They are constant. So every, every camera, even like the web camera that you are talking to me has kind of uh, intrinsic, so it's like a, a focal length of the camera, principal point, so when it basically projects your kind of human on the image pane, on the, on the screen. And this, these parameters okay. are constant. They, they can be known like by kind of calibration procedure. And extrinsic is kind of <laughs> like uh, the, the parameters that are relative. So you can, you can have like two cameras and you know there is uh, some offset of them, like some kind of distance and kind of orientation. And extrinsic is called uh, basically a 6D parameter. <laughs> uh, this is basically a rotation and a relative rotation and a relative translation from one camera frame to another. And of course, this can like okay. differs. So what I was like trying to uh, to do is I have like already uh, two cameras uh, filming one person. And I was trying to understand, I, I, not understand, but somehow find out the intrinsic and extrinsic parameters of those cameras. So, mm -hmm. and uh, so, what, what, what I was trying to say is uh, basically you can stuck on some kind of a very stupid thing that would delay all your work. So I was, I was kind of like uh, estimated the intrinsic. I, I hope they're like, uh, okay, but extrinsic is... Uh, difficult to estimate because, as I said, they are not constant. They could be like, they, I mean, they are constant in, 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 some, in some sense that uh, uh, they are only fixed uh, when you when you uh, locate your cameras and if the cameras are, are moving, the ex extrinsic are uh, fixed, but you, it's not very easy to uh, estimate them initially because you don't know, you, you haven't been in those things. So what, only what you have is kind of like, a video, video of, of these two cameras. So how do you get the, are you doing the videos in, uh, where, you, where are you taking the videos and then you're looking at the computer and what are you using to basically confine that data and make yeah, it so, how are you making so it So kind of, yeah, those kind of data are already been captured by some other guys from university. 
So they basically uh, like um, having professional people, professional people of sign language that are doing this all kind of stuff on the cameras that know how to do it. So they captured all these kind of videos. They captured kind of uh, when you need to do calibration, you would basically film a checkerboard uh, or like chessboard. Do you imagine there is a basically a board of chess that has uh, a white and black uh, squares in it? Given these uh, squares, it's very easy to basically find intrinsic parameter of camera because uh, this uh, chessboard has kind of corners that are very easily to detect. So uh, by detect, I mean uh, on the image you can detect like some kind of key points. Imagine like being you seeing me on my screen and you can basically there is some kind of uh, programs, kind of methods that would detect uh, my eyes, my nose, like by and this kind of detection would call would be called like a key points to the key points on the image. Okay. And given chessboard, it's very easy to detect them because a chessboard has a very like a sharp edges of the of the corners of checker chessboard and given these key points you can easily find the intrinsic matrix so basically what i need so i have already this kind of data i need to process them i need to understand this kind of extrinsic and intrinsic parameters and after i know this i can like further improve my estimation of 3d skeleton of a human mm -hmm. So what can affect the parameters also? If you're getting a video uh, footage, for example, if someone's taking a video or something and they're wanting it to notice sign language, can it affect, can it be affected by uh, light in the room? Can it be affected yes, by... Yes, of course, of course, yeah. Basically, what, what I already have in the, to work with is basically some kind of videos, nothing else. I don't know, like, any... Uh, there, I wasn't present in this uh, time when those uh, images were taken. I don't know like what the distance between cameras, what other like location. So what I know is of course only only some video and but those videos were made in professional kind of studios. So uh, they are relatively okay, but of course they can be of course affected by the light, by the other factors. Uh, Basically, by many factors, they could be affected, but they they are quite okay because they've been taken in studio. So, how how much of this time, how much of this project take? Yeah, how much time does there does this project take up from you? Because it sounds like it would just be a never ending um, process of like you find something and then you get in the flow of it and then maybe something else will prop up and it takes <laughs> it takes even more time to solve out the problem yeah how much time are you putting into this per day i mean it's like a basic a normal working day it's eight hours but okay. of course like you spend much time on just some kind of also reading some reading on of the methods that would do it like that some already smart guy already did it for you and you just <laughs> only need to capture this information from somewhere in the internet and read it understand it maybe try to implement it or find some kind of implementation of what they did and it's all like takes some time and of course it's all programming it's like you need to i i come to my i come to my office 
I start programming, start reading something not working. I say, why, why it doesn't work? I've been spending <laughs> maybe half, half an hour like trying to find some bug, and I said, of course I did something stupid, and I rewrite it, and then I have another bug, and of course it's like uh, it takes some takes some time, unfortunately. But I've been working on it like around several weeks, maybe for my start, maybe my first weeks when I just also reading about the methods. Uh, that been already present. So yeah, maybe, maybe I would say that this is like the common approach on PhD or any work anyone is doing is that you need to first get familiar with it, try to understand if someone has already did something similar. If if there is something similar, just see if it fits your task. If it's not, or maybe see if has someone already resolved what your problem statement is. So it's very important to initially read about your topic. Mm -hmm. And that's, so you're spending eight hours doing that. Plus, do you have exams? And... No, no, uh, I don't have, no. I don't have exams, but uh, I have like kind of uh, check or like every six months, I think, six months, I think. So it's basically, uh, I would in six months, maybe or in five months already, uh, present what what have I done, like kind of presentation to present what I did for this for this time and this kind of evaluation I have. Okay, and how long is this again? The the PhD. The how PhD, yeah, in in the UK, it's uh, three years, three years at least. It could be three or four years. Like I was asking people, uh, most of them are. Like uh, most of the, most of them, are finished in four years, but some of them now are saying that they are planning to finish maybe in three and a half. So it's usually like from three to four years, which is uh, actually in, in the UK it's uh, actually quite short time because I think in Western Europe in general, in the US it's also three years, in France in three years, but in Czech Republic, for instance, it's uh, four years at least. And I know like uh, in Eastern Europe or maybe in Germany as well, four years. And if for in my like department at the Czech Technical University where I've been studying, like PhD takes many many students uh, had their PhD for even seven years. Oh wow! Yeah, I, because I think like, <laughs> if you if you look for average of PhD, maybe like uh, worldwide, it's uh, maybe six years or five years. In general, not not only on computer revision. Yes, my bachelor's was four years and that was enough to break me down <laughs> and not make me want to study anymore. So fair play, I will say, Maxine. But it, you are very interested in it, so it probably doesn't seem that frustrating for you. Yeah, I very, I very like it. Uh, I, I think it's kind of what I always wanted to do is kind of research because it's uh, interesting to do what you like. It's, it's, I, I've been trying to have some internship in Toyota. It was also kind of research there, but uh, I had like kind of boss and all these like uh, companies uh, policies. It was like kind of uh, kind of annoying. Here, I think I like working at university. Basically, it uh, gives you much uh, more freedom. I would say. Yeah, are you gonna miss having? that freedom while you're in university do you think like once you get into after your phd 
and you have to go into full time job, even though PhD sure. is very demanding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't like completely thinking about what I will do after PhD, but it's probably probably I would go still to some company, but I would like to do some research afterwards. Mm-hmm. So what what would you, for example, research? How do you mean by that? Is that like making your own, um, I don't know, academic journal into something? Uh, probably or... not in academic path, but probably like there is lots of companies like you see there is like a Facebook research, there is Google research. What what basically by research they mean is uh, kind of a data processing. Like you, you can have like. Uh, Kind of even some kind of creating their own methods. So you you, you see you have like a problem statement of uh, like Facebook that they have like recognition of faces on the images. So maybe what they or maybe uh, Google now like was working on the um, uh, recognition of images. So you, you see there is uh, like a Google app there where you can upload any image basically, and Google would predict what is on this image. So and it gives you kind of prediction. So what been they doing? Like of course is uh, just uh, collecting data, many 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 images, annotated images. So uh, annotated annotated images. Images. I mean like uh, you see that you have an image of a dog, and annotation is a dog. Image of a cat. Annotation is a cat. And basically they put millions, maybe tens of millions of images to the network with those annotations and. Eventually, they got some kind of network, pre-trained network, that would uh, be given any image, and it would output a label, a label saying what it is on this image. And this kind of like uh, research I'm talking about. So how how do they make this network? What kind of, ar- of architecture they're using for neural network? I mean, architecture is how many layers they have, how many like uh, hidden parameters they use, and this kind of like research. So no one... So they would publish, basically, a lot of companies do doing it uh, like either publicly or privately. For instance, Google has some uh, public papers of how they did it. So they basically publish what kind of methods they use, what kind of tricks they use to do it. And this kind of makes public and uh, some guy like in, in uh, I don't know, France can read it and say, okay, this makes sense. I will try to implement it. And it could work for him as well. So yeah, my ultimate goal is like maybe working in some like kind of company, company, but doing research by creating some kind of methods, methods that would uh, basically make make our life like more advanced. On this like, mm-hmm. yeah, because at the moment it's impressive that a computer can probably recognize a dog. So if you take a photo, as you said, if you take yes. a photo, dog. But realistically, at the, this moment in time, unless you have Alzheimer's <laughs> and you need to remember what a dog is and you can take a photo of it, yes. then it could be helpful. But I, I feel like when when I talk about this with you, I feel like it's just going down a path of just, we're going to be just computers in the future and we're going to yeah. take over. Yeah, if there will be a future, now, I, <laughs> I hope there will because I'm like going back to this situation. I'm now completely sure that Putin is insane, insane enough to use nuclear weapon. But this is, of course, not decision for him to make. It's uh, I don't know, like maybe several people have to be there. But 
I mean, the board has to stop this crazy guy. I think he will be remembered as uh, the the dictator of the of the year award, which isn't the you know the best award to get. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand, as I've said, what his goal is with Ukraine because I, I think that he's not going to get what he desires because yeah. it, what he desires is unrealistic yes. and not true. Many um, experts say that he already lost basically because Ukrainians, yeah, he can like uh, occupy our like cities, our territory, but Ukrainians. Ukrainians would never surrender. They would never recognize Russia. They would never recognize Putin. And at these terms, Putin has already lost. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Social, like socially, even outside of Ukraine. What what I was saying before is that if he if he took over, there's also Ukrainians won't accept it. Now there was people who didn't accept, for example, Prague Spring. But the, the power that they had took was able to take over Czechoslovakia and people were repressed. Now, I think that he's managed to piss the entire world off, which isn't yes. a, a good thing. <laughs> so it's I think even there was a joke that even the Taliban called him out yes. and said, like, you've got to chill out. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully one to two months, maybe less, the, the conflict will last for. I can't see him being able to fund his military for, for that long. I've already seen photos yes. of outdated military equipment being used already. Yeah, unfortunately now the main, like, uh, the money that comes from to Russia is basically from selling oil and gas. So this is like the last scope of Putin. But now US and Europe are... Uh, considering to cutting all this business as well so you said that they would need to avoid any like buying russian gas and oil and the us is also saying that so hopefully there will be more sanctions on this industry as well yeah that is sorry but the the amount that the ruble has collapsed is impressive in a in a bad way and it's going to take an effect on the day-to-day -day lives of russian people and as you said before about these billionaires they're going to lose a lot of wealth where it's going to be uh, unrealistic to keep putin in power because it's just not a good outcome for the ukrainian people but it's also not a good outcome for russian people uh, you're pretty much trapped inside of Russia at this moment in time if you're a citizen yeah. because you, you can't do anything in the outside world because, well, for example, if you try to use your visa card, it won't work outside of Russia. So Yes, they couldn't even fit outside of Russia because uh, basically airspace is closed for Russia in the EU, EU in the US, in other countries. I, I wonder what it's going to take for for him to to realize though that's what's so confusing witnessing it all this happen it's just like we're waiting for just something to happen where he changes his path of invasion but from what we can see so far he said that 
he still wants his needs to be met, which is like demilitarization of Ukraine. They don't join the EU and they don't join NATO. But but obviously Ukraine wasn't yeah. like uh, on the path of joining EU and NATO anytime soon. So it was like just a very lame excuse. Any expert would say that Ukraine wouldn't join NATO like maybe for 20 years. So, I mean, it was, it always like made for inner Russian public that uh, there is some threat from uh, from NATO, from the Ukrainian side, where which obviously wasn't any threat. So, yeah, it, he's probably used that as an excuse to to invade, to be honest. Yes. And then it, I think that the, the approach that uh, countries like America took, so for example, Joe Biden, they released uh, all the intel that they had on the Russian invasion, that they foiled his plot. So it was like, it looked like he was going to stage a, an invasion at one point. And then it, it was like he built up this 200,000 um, mass of troops next to the border. And then it just snapped, like, but then it fell apart. It's <laughs> just like the the invasion went tits up. Obviously, there's been uh, casualties which have been upsetting, but realistically, from a strategical point of view, he's done a, a fucking shite job. He's done a really poor job of invading a country. And as I said before, it's had the, the U-turn effect, a highly... Um, I, I really think that you're going to want to be part of NATO now because, yeah. because of what's happened. Thank you, me too. <laughs> so what, what do you think is going to happen now? But we'll just summarise things. We'll just conclude on the final thoughts on Ukraine. How are you feeling about the situation? Yeah, so, side? so I, I have a very strong belief in our Ukrainian army that we will protect our cities. But we have to understand that the Russian forces are really advanced, so they have more ammunition, more weaponry. But uh, I mean, Ukrainians are strong enough, and I believe that we will not surrender that easy. But uh, but to summary, that I still think that Putin will not going to stop, like maybe for a few more weeks at least. Well, uh, he, because <clears throat> because. Stopping for him means uh, losing for him, and he, with his crazy money, he kind of like uh, afford this. So he will keep advancing, keep like destroying uh, innocent people, and uh, I, I really hope that uh, at least NATO countries will will be given more aid and support to Ukraine right now. And of course, ultimately, what uh, the only thing that can stop Putin is uh, Russian people. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some even Russian army forces that would, I don't know, some kind of protest against mm. killing our innocent Ukrainian lives and go, like, change the direction of their troops to Moscow, where is the, the evil is sitting. <laughs> it's a, a complete U-turn of the troops and head straight yes. for the Kremlin. I think this would be the best military operation they can do. <laughs> what, one last question for me. In the eastern areas and like the the border areas of uh, Ukraine and Russia, are the the families that exist that do have relations, for, for example, cousins or yes, I have, to... I have so uh, 
originally I'm basically from Donetsk. Like I was like born in Donetsk city, but I moved to Kiev where I live like like starting from three when I was three I was moved with my parents to Kiev and I lived all my life. So I don't really remember eastern part of like Ukraine at all. But my aunt was living there like all, all her time and my godfather is also like in was from from eastern part. But now my godfather uh, left I think for other city and my aunt is living on the Ukrainian territory but it's uh, very close to this Donbass region so I was like uh, I was getting in touch with my uh, aunt like uh, yesterday and she said that she is okay they, she, she lives in a small village so she said there is relatively calm because uh, now all these combats and battles are taken mainly in these large cities and uh, so this is my relatives from the eastern side maybe in the uh, kind of north side not far away from Kiev um, living my grandparents they also live in the village I also called them yesterday they said that everything is uh, all right so far and uh, my parents basically my family uh, live now in Kiev and they've done okay from from what you yeah. said regarding with the initial assault yeah i mean uh my, my family are now okay they say like the food supplies are now all right but of course there is like every day they say there was some shootings maybe not not uh, not a lot but yes because now i think the main battles are now in uh, in suburbs of kiev there is like uh, two cities uh, two or three cities that have been constantly under attack because mm -hmm. Russians are trying like to um, occupy like this suburbs of Kiev and go directly to Kiev this is like their main target because president now is in Kiev or government Ukraine in Kiev and they say that if they uh, occupy Kiev that would like destroy Ukrainians morale to, to fight and which part of Kiev do you live in? Do you live in a, a in, in central suburb? Yes. Or so it's uh, it's okay. right close to the uh, Kiev Zoo. I basically can see a zoo from from my window. Okay, okay, yes. So hopefully you can get back to uh, Ukraine. Let's say Easter would be a, a good goal, <laughs> but maybe it's. Uh, uh, a little too optimistic, but we hope we hope that it ends. Uh, but thanks for doing the podcast. Slava Ukraini. <laughs> Good. Right. Cheers. <laughs>